0: But we're going to uh, look at Colossians chapter 2 this evening. So I encourage you to open your Bibles to Colossians 2. We'll look at verses 4 through 10. And outside of the box, so to speak, for us, we're not going to do our normal course of examining things verse by verse and even word for word, but we're going to use it as kind of a springboard in the general context of what Paul was talking about and why he was writing to the church of Colossa will introduce us into our topic and time tonight. Now we know there are many signs that indicate we are in the last days and not all of them pertain to things going on in the world like wars and rumors of wars, uh, earthquakes, pestilence, famine, the other things that Jesus described in the preamble to the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24, 3 through 8. Now what he did tell us is that the last days would be as it was in the days of Noah, And what we know about Noah's time is that the world was filled with violence. Check. Is it filled with violence today? The wickedness of man was great. Check. Absolutely. The thoughts and intents of man's heart was only evil continually. And there we've hit the trifecta. All of those are happening today. You can find them in Genesis 6, 5 and verse 11. Now we also know from Jesus that false Christ would arise prior to his coming for the church in Matthew 24, 5. And then Peter would say this in 2 Peter 3, 1 to 4. Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come, In the last days, walking according to their own what? Lust Lust simply means to long for the forbidden. And saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Scoffers are part of the last days scenario. Scoffers are with us today. Scoffers are those who are looking at the church and instead of seeing them as the body of christ looking at us as bigots and haters and oftentimes viewing us as fools who believe in such a thing as a god who is outside of time and able to speak things into existence at will and all these things that jesus said were going to be going on are going on the scoffers are with us The thoughts and intents of man's heart is only evil continually. Wickedness is great in all the earth and violence is all around us. All we need to do is click on the news to see that that is so. Now, when Peter talks about people walking according to their own lusts, that implies a rejection or a wholesale rejection of any universal moral standard or in a word, lawlessness. Lawlessness. Now, in the Olivet Discourse, Jesus addresses to in Matthew 24, 12, where he said, because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow what? Will grow cold. Now, the word love is interesting. It's one we're all familiar with. The Greek term is actually agape. We call it agape. And it speaks of charity, affection, and benevolence. The root of the word agapao actually means to be fond of or affectionate towards others. Now, the word cold actually has a broader meaning that we would think of. It means to breathe naturally. In other words, what Jesus was saying is that in the last days, charity, affection, and the fondness for others would stop breathing. And when you stop breathing, you die. Now, As I said, I mentioned our title last Wednesday and Sunday, but I'll remind you again that the things we are seeing in the world today are simply, and here's our title, beyond belief. They are beyond belief. Somebody say amen. Amen. Now, we don't need to spend any time making the case for the love of many growing cold. We see the loss of natural affection all around us. We see it happening through abortion being so dominant in our world today the natural love of a mother for an unborn child all of this is growing cold in our day the respect for human life in any capacity is dying in our day but i will also say our title is a bit of a double entendre in that things that are uh, that are not only happening in the world are unbelievable but things that are happening in the church are also beyond belief and what i mean by that is they have moved outside of the apostolic doctrines that the church has held for nearly two millennia. And they have done so rapidly, even though within the church, there has always been fringe elements, there has always been false teaching, they've been present, even at the time of the writing of Scripture. But they, like everything else, are on the increase exponentially in these last days. Now, in Acts chapter 20, verses 29 to 31, if you remember, Paul was giving a farewell address to the elders from Ephesus with whom he had spent three years teaching them and saw churches planted and believers born again. Now, he said, I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves within the church men will rise up speaking what perverse things the word perverse in the greek means to become its opposite speak things that are the opposite of what he had taught them what is the purpose to draw away disciples after themselves now also remember a disciple is a learner to teach things that are distinct from what paul taught them and draw them after their teaching is what he describes the efforts of savage wolves to be so he says therefore watch and remember that for three years i did not cease to warn everyone how often night and day how with tears very emotional plea he had for the church at ephesus now paul warned the ephesian elders about what would happen after his departure he would later give timothy the same type of warning in the last chapter of the last epistle paul would write before he went home to be with the Lord. Pastor Mike McIntosh and others have shared with me over the years that Pastor Chuck had this very concern before his departure to heaven that there would be savage wolves that would come in and try and separate and divide Calvary Chapel. I have to say, I sure do miss Pastor Chuck. Amen. 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 And 2 Timothy 4, 3-4 says, The time will come there's going to be a season of church history when they will not endorse sound doctrine remember doctrine means teaching but according to their own what their own desires desires they will heap up teachers because they have itching ears and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables now paul said that a time was coming when the sound doctrines of the church would be turned from in preference to things people want to hear which are actually departures from the truth or apostasies and sadly this is rampant in our day now remember the word apostasy means to defect from the truth and in the context of scripture obviously it's speaking about what the bible teaches to be infallible truths and absolute truths as well. Now, the thing we need to recognize about fables is that they incorporate things that are real, things that are actual. And it's kind of interesting. I thought, what, what exactly is a fable? So I thought I'd look it up and I ran across a website that was called Writing 101. And it's basically an instructional website for how to write different types of literature, you know, f- including fables. Anything from a resume and beyond, or to a novel. Now, the four characteristics on this website about a fable are these. Number one is symboli- symbolism. Characters in fables are stand ins for humans, and their misadventures are meant to symbolize human behavior. Secondly, here's a multi syllable word anthropomorphization in fables. Let's say that three times, real fast. Say it one time at all, I guess. That's a big word. In fables, animals and even inanimate objects, like the wind or the sun, are the main characters of the story and are given human qualities. Some animals have specific traits associated with them. For example, an owl is wise, a fox is cunning, a lion is brave. Now also from the website, Writing 101, we see that fables must contain lessons. Number three, every fable has a moral lesson at the end that arises from the story. And the story I'll give as an example, uses the slow and steady wins the race lesson. And fourthly, humor. Fables often have a humorous tone when showing the foolishness of what? Human nature. Now, uh, one of the more perfect examples of all we just read is the fable of the hare and the tortoise. Now, I'm sure we're all familiar with the basic bones of it. But the fable reads as follows. The hare was once boasting of his speed before the other animals. I have never yet been beaten, said he. When I put forth my full speed, I challenge anyone here to race with me. The tortoise said quietly, I accept your challenge. That's a good joke, said the hare. I could dance round you all the way. Keep your boasting till you've beaten, answered the tortoise. Shall we race? So a course was fixed. The start was made. The hare darted out almost out of sight at once, but soon stopped, believing that the tortoise could never catch him. lay down by the wayside to have a nap, and the tortoise never for a moment stopped, but went on with a slow and steady pace straight to the end of the course. When the hare awoke from his nap, he saw the tortoise just near the winning post. The hare ran as fast as he could, but it was too late. He saw the tortoise had reached the goal, and he said, then said the tortoise, slow and steady wins the race. Now there's a perfect example of a fable. hares and tortoises are real. Right? Boasting is bad. Slow and steady. Is the moral lesson. And that is often true. Now is this a true story? Did it ever happen? No. But it incorporates things that are real. It has lessons to teach. There's an element of humor within it and it has a good moral outcome or lesson for us to learn. It makes a point and people identify with it. Now, we've got a lot of things that are happening in the church today that are described by Paul as fables. They'll incorporate a lot of the same same language we use. They'll use a lot of the verbiage and terminology, terminology that we use. But the problem we need to recognize is that we don't listen to one's or strictly to one's terminology, we need to find out what's in their dictionary. What do they mean when they use certain terms? Because there are things being taught today that will use the same things we're used to hearing, things that are real, moral lessons and objective that seem sound and beneficial to society as a whole, but they are not real stories, they are apostasies, they are departures from the truth, and we need to beware of them Because they are growing rampantly in our day. Now, we're going to address two of the main ones from our time and uh, the season that we're in. And then we'll mention a third briefly that we've talked about in the past. And I think you'll be, as I was, stunned at the parallels from our verses tonight as to what's going on today. So would you stand and read with me, please, from Colossians chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. And what we're going to read is no fable it's fact somebody say amen. amen now colossians 2 pick it up in 4 now this i say lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words for though i am absent in the flesh yet i am with you in spirit rejoicing to see your good order and in the st- and steadfastness of your faith in christ as you therefore have received christ jesus the lord so walk in him Rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in Him who is the head of all principality and power and father we ask now your blessing on your word we ask that you would give us ears to hear what you're saying and lord i pray that in our hearts and minds we would have an awareness raised and be further equipped for the work of ministry including discerning the spirits and the teaching that is rampant around us today bless us now we pray in jesus name amen you may be seated now paul wrote the epistle to the church of Colossa during his roman captivity that we're going to examine uh, in detail this sunday in acts chapter 28 he also wrote ephesians and philemon during that roman captivity now ephesians has been described as a handbook of the christian faith if you look at the first three chapters it's chapters concerning the doctrines of the church and the last three chapters address the duties of the church Philemon was a personal letter to a brother in Christ who had a slave named Onesimus who had escaped from him and he had encountered Paul. Paul led him to faith, told him to go back to his master and he wrote a letter to Philemon saying, you must not receive him as a slave, you must receive him as a brother in Christ. Now, Colossians was neither a personal letter nor was it a doctrinal thesis, but rather it was a warning about heresy that was growing in the church that would in the second century manifest itself in full-blown Gnosticism. Now the uh, budding heretical movement that uh, contained several characteristics that Paul was addressing that was given uh, being born, I should say, in the city of Colossa in in the region as a whole, we will find to have particular relevance to things we'll talk about tonight, things that are happening in our day. You know, first of all, what was happening in Colossae, what was creeping into the church was Jewish. It stressed the need for observing Old Testament laws and ceremonies. Secondly, it claimed a deeper or special revelation from God or deeper knowledge of God it involved the worship as of angels as mediators to god fourthly it stressed that special privilege and perfection had been granted to a select few who belonged to the philosophical elite fifthly it denied the deity of christ now paul warns about being deceived by such teaching and therefore teachers and we should heed his warning Amen. Now, we've talked in the past about the Hebrew roots movement. It's also called Torah observant Christianity, and there are many things associated with it that we ought to shun because Paul did, and the Bible tells us that the law was fulfilled in Christ, and their basic mandate is that every Christian is to label themselves as a messianic Christian. And therefore, they should observe the writings of the Torah. They should observe a kosher diet. They should celebrate the feast days of Israel. Never call Jesus, Jesus. You must refer to him by his Hebrew name, Yeshua. And they teach that Jesus' death on the cross did not end the Mosaic Covenant, but it renewed it and even expanded it by writing it on the hearts of all true followers. Now, Paul addressed this very directly in verses 16 to 17 of Colossians chapter 1, where he said, let no one judge you in food or drink regarding a festival or new moon or Sabbath, which are what? Shadows of things to come, but the substance of them is Christ. Now, what we could determine from what Paul said is this. Don't let the Hebrew roots movement tell you that Christians who are not Torah observant are in error. We're not under the law. Amen? The law kills. The law had no provision to save. The law was even described as a taskmaster. And it exposed the fact that everyone was a sinner before a pure, righteous, and holy God. Now Paul opens this section about efforts to deceive by noting they'll use persuasive words, much like the fable we just defined and described a moment ago. And he gives them the admonition to continue steadfast and established in the faith you received when you came to Christ, being rooted and built up by the teachings you had received with hearts filled with thanksgiving. In other words, maintain a steadfastness in the apostles doctrines that Paul himself taught and many of which he recorded. He then says, beware, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit. And then he says where those things come from, according to the traditions of men, and they're based on worldly principles. Now, There is a movement, it's not anything new, it's relatively new, but it isn't new within the last few months as we've seen a lot of new things since February here in our country and world. But there is a growing movement in the church today that is based on worldly principles called the social justice movement. We have a social gospel that's associated with it. Now, let me read to you the definition of social justice according to the world, which I got the definition from Wikipedia. Now, social justice is defined as this. Social justice is also a concept that some use to describe the movement towards a socially just world. In this context, social justice is based on the concepts of human rights and equality and involves a greater degree of economic egalitarianism through progressive taxation income redistribution or even property redistribution notice how things started well but they started going downhill fast these policies aim to achieve what developmental economists refer to as more equality of opportunity important phrase than may currently exist in some societies and to manufacture equality of outcome in cases where incidental inequalities appear in a procedurally just system. I know you all knew that, but I wanted to read it for my own benefit. Now, let's read all the verses in the Bible that tell us we are to seek to bring about income equality. I can't think of any, can you? How about property redistribution as an apostolic doctrine? Or equality of outcome. Now, if you don't think equality of outcome has permeated our society, you know what it means? It means everybody on the team gets a trophy no matter how they perform. And this has been happening for the last generation. It doesn't matter their level of performance. We have now learned, and in some areas of our country... Uh, there was one group that was interviewed in a particular city in our nation where the inner city students were interviewed and not one of them who was 18 years of age could read at a fifth grade level and none of them could do basic math. Why? Because you cannot have a different outcome for poor performance. Everybody has to have an equal outcome. Now, are these things consistent with the sound doctrines of the church? No, they're not. And the Bible is replete with admonitions that we are to care for the poor and the less fortunate in our world, and we certainly are to do that. And listen, there are organizations who are the first on the scene when a catastrophe strikes around the world, and that's exactly where the church ought to be. Paul told Titus to meet urgent needs, and we ought to be doing that. There's no question about that. And in Galatians 6.10, we're told, Therefore, as we have what? Opportunity. Let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Listen, yes, we are to care for the poor, but not in the Robin Hood type manner of the social justice movement and the egalitarian thinking behind it. Egalitarianism is simply that everything has to be equal. Nobody can have higher pay. It's basically socialism, a big long word uh, explaining socialism, at least in the context of the social justice system you see these things working in countries like cuba where a doctor and someone who may have a job that took less education make 400 dollars a month that's egalitarianism in the sense of social justice everyone has to have and make the same thing equal opportunity or equal outcome is the uh the boundaries for operating within a society that practices this. Now, let me just say something about the social justice movement that's happening in the church in the form of a point. Listen, here's what we need to recognize. Solving someone's temporal problems does not assure solving their eternal one. Solving someone's temporal problems does not assure solving their eternal one. Listen, what is God concerned about? Is he concerned about souls? He says, all souls are mine. It's the saving of a soul that is the passion of its heart, not the improvement of one's personal experience during the vapor that we call life. And listen, we are not called to be social justice warriors, nor does the Bible teach equality of outcome as sound doctrine. Now in 2 Thessalonians three ten to 12, Paul said this, for even when we were with you, we commanded you this, If anyone, say anyone, Anyone. if anyone will not work, meaning they have the capacity to work and the uh, opportunities are available. If anyone will not work, neither shall he what? Eat. And he said, for we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now those who are such we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat the government's bread. <laughs> eat what? Their own bread. Now within the thinking of the social justice system it's something that's also made its way into the headlines and everyday speak and thinking today and it's called critical race theory. And many within the social justice movement apply critical race theory principles to Christianity. And this is something that is very troubling And it's happening all over the country and world even within the church and what it suggests is that the church must adopt critical race theory in order to approach and minister to society or else it's not really preaching the gospel and in applying critical race theory to the christian faith some have gone as far as suggesting that whiteness Defined in a unique sense is a type of sin. Now listen, I've been able to change the tone of my sin by going to the be- or skin by going to the beach, but listen, you're born with something that you can't change, right? And therefore, to call something you're born with sin, as it's defined in this sense, is uh, just—it's not just impossible; it's unscientific. And they're saying it's incompatible with salvation. In other words, critical race theory implies that those in certain ethnic or socioeconomic groups must repent of their status and turn from their sin in order to really be a Christian. Now the problem is critical race theory is part of Marxism. Does the church adopt its teachings and doctrines from Karl Marx? Or socialism? Are you here tonight? Do we get our tenets and principles and teachings from communism? No, we don't. Listen, it's a philosophy that is an empty deceit based on worldly principles and not according to Christ. And in 2, 18 to 19, Paul will say this, let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and the worship of angels. We mentioned that a moment ago. Intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his what his fleshly mind and not holding fast to the head from whom all the body nourished in it together by joints and ligaments grows with the increase that is from who that is from God listen there are myriads of people within the church today who are trying to fix the world instead of save the worldly and they're being cheated out of their reward by this empty philosophy and throughout the course of history, God has chosen to give some more material possessions than others. Deuteronomy says, you need to remember that it is God who has given you the power to get wealth. Now, he has given more to some than he has given to others throughout the course of history, right? Abraham was a rich man, and there were others around him who were. Solomon was a wise and rich man, unparalleled in ancient history. And he had more than others. David was a wealthy man. And indeed, we know that God has chosen to give some more than others. God has given us some more mental capacity than others. He has given some more physical strength than others. And we are all of equal value in God's eyes, but we are not of equal ability. And we're not all as strong as each other, right? And there are some among us who are more smarter than the rest of us. Amen? And that's just a fact. But that does not make us of any less value and the same is true in heaven. Listen there are archangels there are seraphim there are cherubim and they are not equal in ability or powers. Michael is even called one of the chief princes in Daniel 10:13. Gabriel who was questioned about an announcement he made and he said, "I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of the most high God." He had a special calling. He has a special placement in heaven. And listen, all these things that are being taught today are unbiblical and they're not going to happen even in the heavenly realm. And in Revelation twenty-two twelve, 12, Jesus said, behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to give everyone the same thing because equal outcome is the mission of the church. Somebody said No, he said he's going to give to each one or everyone according to his work. Now, let me close out this section with one more thought, and it's based on what we just read from Jesus. God will reward us for doing what he said to do, not what we think we ought to. God is going to reward us for doing what he said to do, not what we think we ought to. Now, moving forward into our final section tonight. Back to the heresy Paul was combating that there were this select few who had special revelation from God and a deeper knowledge from and about him. Now because of this thinking he reminds the church in verses 8 and 9, you are complete in him and Jesus is the head of the angelic realm. And there's a huge movement today that is gaining steam by the day called the New Apostolic Reformation. It's commonly referred to by the acronym NAR. If you hear somebody mention NAR, that stands for the New Apostolic Reformation. And it's a movement that claims God is restoring the lost offices of church governance, mainly or namely the offices of prophet and apostle. Now the leading figures of this movement claim that these prophets and apostles have power and authority to execute God's plan and purposes on the earth they believe they are laying the foundation for a global church that they someday will govern now they place a greater emphasis on dreams and visions and extra biblical revelation dreams and visions are real right that's biblical right those things happen so there's some of that realism language incorporated into what they teach as well as extra-biblical revelation than they do the Bible, claiming that their revealed teachings and experiences, like trips to heaven, face-to-face conversations with Jesus, the apostles, and visits by angels, cannot be proven by the old scripture or the written word. That means that what they say and what they claim is uh, to be viewed as valid as the written word of God. Now, Should we add to scripture? Well, of course not. This movement is also known as dominionism. It's called or referred to as third wave. It's also referred to as the latter rain movement. You'll hear about kingdom now theology or Joel's army. Also, it's referred to as the manifested sons of God and even the charismatic Renewal. Now, to give you an idea of the scope of this movement, there are some very familiar churches and parachurch ministries who have fallen either into this headlong or bought into some of the tenets. Now, I think any of you who've been here for any length of time know that I'm always very careful about mentioning a name, but there are times when it is necessary, even as Paul named Hymenaeus and Alexander as one who did him great harm, and he warned Timothy to be careful of them. And we need to be careful of this movement. Now, the aim of this uh, movement and the idea of the scope of it, as I'll tell you here in a moment, is some of its practices include what's called the spiritual warfare movement. And the aim of the spiritual warfare movement is to take dominion over societal institutions and government. Now, once they have accomplished this goal to take control of the earth, they'll take over the kingdoms of the world and build a literal kingdom of God on earth. And this is known as kingdom now theology. Now, this is why and how many churches and parachurch groups have become social justice warriors instead of gospel preachers. Now, some of the churches and ministries have very familiar names. Hillsong Church is a NAR Church, a New Apostolic Reformation Church. Bethel Church, right here in Redding, California, is a New Apostolic Reformation Church. Another place called IHOP, the International House of Prayer. And the Kansas City Prophets are part of the New Apostolic Reformation. Now, whether they're fully involved or not, but there are also parachurch groups who started well, who have wavered here. Uh, nearing the end who have adopted many of the social justice warrior tactics. Groups like YWAM, Youth with a Mission, Campus Crusade has fallen into many of these practices and teachings as well. And I mention this because these groups represent staggering numbers of the church corporate or global. So let's look at a few of their claims and see if there's a problem. You guys still here? Now, listen. One of their claims is this. We're in a second apostolic age. There are new apostles on the earth today, anointed by the laying on of hands to represent and speak for God here on earth. These super apostles are equal to the original apostles, the ones who witnessed Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and were appointed by Christ himself to the office. Since these new apostles are commissioned by God, their authority may not be questioned. Now, 2 Peter 1, 2 to 4 tells us, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us some things. What do we have? All things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of of the divine nature having escaped the world, or the corruption that is in the world through lust. And then the Lord's half-brother Jude would write in 1.3, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to who? Delivered to the saints. Now, if we have all things pertaining to life and godliness, if the elements of the faith that we are to earnestly contend for were delivered once and for all to the saints, then what is the purpose of the second apostolic age and the super apostles who will rule over it? If we have everything we need, then why do we need this new group to tell us what to do and what God's will is? Now in Ephesians 2, 19 to 22, we're told, now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of who? The apostles and the prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the world, the whole building rather, being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Now, the apostles and prophets of the early church were used to build the foundation of the church of which Christ is the cornerstone. The apostolic age has passed and the foundation of the church has long been established. Now, listen close. Don't check out. This does not mean that the gifts of the Spirit died with the apostles. There were other non-apostle peoples who walked in the gifts of the Spirit like Stephen who had worked mighty signs and wonders through him and he wasn't named among the apostles. And we know that it's true by as uh, evidence down through the ages. Is God still healing today? Is he still giving words of knowledge today? Is he still anointing people today? And that all takes the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is still active and present in the church today and moving through it. Now, it does mean that the church has what it needs to fulfill its purpose of reaching the world for Christ. Now listen, if there was going to appear a second batch of apostles to bring in a new Reformation age, wouldn't the Bible have told us they were coming? Does it? No, it mentions no such thing. Secondly, they believe and teach apostolic leaders are working to bring the gospel of the kingdom of heaven to earth. They do this by taking dominion of earthly kingdoms under what's called the Seven Mountains Mandate, which means the church must have dominion over these seven areas, over government, media, entertainment, education, business, family, and religion. Now, they also teach when this is accomplished, When the church has dominion over the seven mountains, Jesus is going to return. And he can't return until the church has dominion. Well, Jesus said this in Matthew 24, 37 to 38. But as the days of Noah were, wickedness was exceedingly great. The thought and intents of man's heart was only evil continually, as we mentioned earlier. So also will the coming of the son of man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of who? The son of man be. Now, what was it like before the flood? Did Noah and his family have dominion over the seven mountains? No, hardly. And there are some who have calculated, Ken Ham and the wonderful people at Answers of Genesis believe that because of the uh, the near perfect genetic structure of man prior to the days of Noah, the length of life that Genesis records and uh, all the other things associated with that, a firmament that covered the earth, uh, allowing for that length of uh, life that they enjoyed during that time. That at the time of the flood, there were as many as 16 billion people on the earth. Twice as many as there are now. How many got on the boat? Ocho. Eight, right? Doesn't sound like they had dominion over the earth. Now, before Jesus comes, things are not going to be running smoothly on the earth with the church in charge. The world is going to be corrupt and violent. The righteous will be few in number. Lawlessness will abound. Humanity will be indifferent to the signs of impending judgment, just like they were when Noah built a boat on a planet where it had never rained for 125 years with room for thousands of people to join him, and none of them got on save his own family. Now, what about special revelation? We hear a lot about that today. NAR leaders claim direct revelation from God, And many allege that Jesus and angels visit them in person. And some declare that they have visited heaven many times and have had conversation with Jesus as well as the prophets and apostles. Now, here's the first thing for us to take note of. In Hebrews 1, 1 to 3, we're told, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke when? Next three words. In In time past. To the fathers by who? By the prophets, God used to speak to mankind through the prophets. Has in last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of majesty on high sounds like he meant what he said on the cross when he said to tell a it is finished peter would say this in second peter 1 19 to 21 and so we have the prophetic word confirmed which you would do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts knowing this first that no prophecy say no prophecy No prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Hebrews says communicating to man via prophets is something of the past. Peter confirms the same thing. Holy men of God spoke as they were moved, indicating it's not a continuing process since we have the written word of God. Now, that doesn't mean that God doesn't give words of knowledge. Amen? That doesn't mean God doesn't give supernatural wisdom. That's why James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who will give to all liberally and without reproach. And the wisdom that comes from above is first pure. It's not going to conflict with the written word of God. Now, that's true of any of the communication gifts described in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14. But what it does mean is that God's method of revealing the future and speaking to the whole church is not through prophets any longer. It is through his written word. Now, when a canon was closed on the Old Testament, after the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, there was 400 years of silence without a prophetic revelation of any form to the nation of Israel. Now, this 400 years of silence was broken by John the Baptist as God once again spoke prior to the onset of the New Testament age by a prophet. And then God moved through various men to record the books of the New Testament. And the last of these was the revelation of Jesus Christ and his fullness and glory and also the last book of our Bibles. Listen. By the second century A.D., the canon of Scripture, exactly as we have it today, was uh, recognized by the whole of the Church. Now, one other thing we need to recognize about this uh, new uh, group of prophets today is what Jesus said himself after this 400 years of silence. After John the Baptist wrote onto the world scene, he said in Matthew 11:13. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until who? John the Baptist. Now, the word until gives us an indication that John was the last of the Old Testament prophets. And just as the close of the Old Testament canon was followed by silence, so the close of the New Testament canon has been followed by an absence of newer special revelation from God as it pertains to the whole of the church and information regarding the future. Since the book of Revelation was completed, no new written or verbal prophecy has been universally recognized by Christians as divine truth by or from God. After all, Paul would write in 2 Timothy three sixteen to 17, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction for instruction and righteousness that the man of god may be what complete thoroughly equipped for every good work now if written scripture completes us and equips us for every good work what do we need special revelation for now listen there's a difference between giving someone an exhortation or even a word of knowledge, where God speaks to something regarding the immediate future, but God is not communicating to us through a group of apostles and prophets today about what's coming for the whole of the world. We already have that information. Revelation has given us very specific details. First and second Thessalonians gives us details. The Olivet Discourse, the longest answer Jesus gave to any question was about the last days and the things that we are seeing now and what would happen during the 70th week Of Daniel there's no need for a new set of apostles there's no need for special revelation today and we need to be careful about those who claim to be receiving information from God that is a message to the whole of the church we already have that message and this is it now one last thing for this final Wednesday night in this room as with many popular movements in the church there's a focus of this movement on experientialism And emotionalism via signs and wonders. I mentioned a church up in Northern California. And many things have been very publicly stated about them. And I took this from their website called the Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry. This is from their website. And I think we have a picture of it up there. Or at least I sent one over. And it says. There it is. Revival is now. Now can we determine when a revival happens? No, a revival is a move of the Holy Spirit of God who moves whenever he chooses. Amen? Amen. Now, many Christians want to leave their mark on the world, their website says. Yet they struggle to see the power Jesus walked in fully actualized in their own life. Do you know deep down that there has to be more to your Christian walk with God but don't know how to break out of your norm? Are you tired of waiting for someone to launch you into your God-given destiny? You feel called inside or outside of the church, but don't see Christian leaders demonstrating how to impact the culture of your unique sphere of influence. You don't have to figure it out alone. At Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry, we'll equip you to walk in the gifts of the Spirit, prepare your noble character, and empower you to follow Jesus as he moves powerfully on the earth today. Now, here's my first question. Are we supposed to leave our mark on the world? Or are we supposed to rescue people who are drawn towards death so they can leave this world and forever be with the Lord? Is that what we're here to do? Is this whole social justice thing something that we are called to as a church? Is somebody supposed to launch us into our God-given destiny? I thought that was God's job. Do you have to go to school to be equipped to walk in your gifts? No. In 1 Corinthians 12, 4 to 11, Paul would say this, there are diversities of gifts. In other other words, there's not equal outcome, but the same spirit. There are differences in ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the spirit is given to who? Each one for the profit of all. For the one is given the word of wisdom through the spirit, To another, a word of knowledge through the same spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the same spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually. Read the last three words. As he wills. Now, if you want to have the healing gift, can you have it by demanding it? Or does God distribute as he wills? If you want a particular gift, can you have it because you've taught God into it? Or gone to school for it? Or does God distribute his gifts as he wills? And 1 Peter four ten to 11 also says, as each one, everybody has spiritual gifts. As each one has received a gift, minister it, to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And he cites some examples. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability. Who supplies the ability? Which God supplies. That in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Listen. I don't see anything about going to school to learn how to use your gifts. Nor do we read anything in scripture about actualizing the power that Jesus walked in, in our lives. Now in Mark 16, 19 to 20, after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and what? Preached where? Everywhere. And what happened to confirm their preaching? the Lord working with them, confirming the what? The word through the accompanying signs. Amen. Now listen, if we want to see the power of God manifested in our lives, all we need to do is go out and tell people about Jesus. And you will see the gifts of the spirit operating in your life, just as they always have, because it takes the spirit of God to inspire us to say that things are going to reach the people he sent us to talk to. Listen, we're not here to be social justice warriors we're not here to take dominion over the world we're not here and called to get back under the law we are here to preach christ and him crucified and god will equip us for everything we need in order to do so remember in acts he gave us the power to be witnesses what power the power of the holy spirit Now listen, there are things happening today outside of and inside the church that are simply beyond belief. And one of my favorite scriptures that we always need to turn to when considering movements that are moving away from the apostolic doctrines that the church has long held is what Jeremiah the prophet said to erring Israel. He said, thus says the Lord, stand in the ways and see, ask for thee what? The old paths where the good way is what's the result then you will find rest for your souls but they said what they say we will not walk in it and that's happening today and listen there is no new apostolic reformation because there are no new apostles and there are no more prophets in the old testament sense Yes, the gift of prophecy is present today. It means to speak by divine inspiration. We would consider that to be an anointing, to uh, foretell the word of God, not foretell future events. The church is not, listen, the church is not going to prepare the world for the return of Christ because Christ is preparing a place for the church to go in the Father's house, and he's going to come and receive us unto himself. And until then, we have a mandate, which is why this message was given tonight, and that is Ephesians 5.11. We are to have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather what? Expose them. This is what Colossians is all about. There were heretical movements that if unchecked were going to cause great harm and damage to the church, and savage wolves would come in trying to draw people after themselves so that they could gain a following. And Jude described them as clouds without water. And they're described as those who wanted to line their own pockets and fill their own bellies. And we're seeing plenty of that today. So do we need to be cautious of these things? Absolutely. But in order to beware, don't we have to be aware of course we do. And that's why we spent the time we did tonight because there are things that are happening that are beyond belief and especially the social justice movement that is happening today. It is sweeping through the church. But the thing we need to remember most of all is what Jesus said. What profit a man if he gained the whole world but loses his own what? So listen, improving somebody's this life status or socioeconomic position doesn't mean you're going to save somebody's soul. You save people's soul through the preaching of the gospel of Christ. Preach the word, Paul would say, even in a time where sound doctrine is no longer endured. So that's our mission, and that's the Great Commission, and there's nothing else outside of it. Do we help the poor and needy around us? Of course we do. Do we seek to meet urgent needs and respond to crisis and catastrophes around the world? Of course we do. That's what the church is all about. But are we going to solve all the social problems of the world? Not going to happen. The Bible never called us to that. And listen, they're trying to bring about what only Jesus can do. And the only time this world is going to have peace is when the Prince of Peace sits on a throne in Jerusalem and rules and reigns in righteousness with a rod of iron for a thousand years. And that's the end of that story. Somebody say amen. Amen. And Father, we are grateful for your word tonight. And thank you for uh, men like Paul who didn't mince words, who addressed the tough stuff, and even said, beware of this and be cautious of that. Thank you that he had such a heart for the church at Ephesians or at Ephesus as it was just an infant church. But he was concerned about what would happen when he left and was no longer able to protect it. And Lord, may we have that same heart as we see so many things happening in these last days that are contrary and in conflict with what the apostles' doctrines were that established the church with you as the cornerstone. So Lord, help us to, in the midst of all that's being thrown at us today, ask for the old path where the good way is, the sound doctrine that established the church and caused it to grow. And Lord, uh, even as Paul was accused of, turn the world upside down. So Lord, we recognize that there is authority in your word and we remember that you said in Psalm 138 too that you have esteemed your word even above all your name because it's your word that establishes the authority of your name. So Lord, may we not abandon your word, compromise your word, water down your word, add to or change your word for the sake of some of these things that are being accommodated today. Help us, Lord, to stand fast in these last days, having done all to stand. And to that, the only thing we can add, Lord, is even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We look forward to that day where the moment and twinkling of an eye will snatch us off the surface of this earth and will forever be with you. We give you thanks for that hope of your glorious appearing as our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you for these warnings tonight. Help us to be aware and help us to speak the truth in love as we address these issues and try and drag those who are caught up in it out of it. Help us to remember foremost, we'll be known as your disciples by the love we have for one another. We give you thanks this evening for your word. In Jesus' name, and all God's people agree by saying, Amen.